0: Say happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. I'm a mom. It's a miracle that I get to be a mom. It blows my mind watching my kids grow. And you know, it just occurred to me I should share with you that as much as I love the baby stage, it's so fun watching these little ones up here. It only gets better. My kids are hilarious and they call me out every day and it's really entertaining. So you just have amazing, amazing things ahead. So today we're going to talk about mothering, of course, but it's not just an exciting day for everyone. Not everyone loves Mother's Day. I've had Mother's Day that were diff- mothers days that were difficult. After miscarriages, after an adoption that didn't come through. And I know that we have a large enough community here that there are women who are hurting today. Your mother might have passed away. You might have experienced abuse. You might have experienced miscarriage. There are a variety of things that could make today not so fun for you. And I just want to say thank you for coming. I'm so glad you came because we're going to talk about love today and the influence that each of us can have in others' lives. And we're going to study today in 1 Corinthians 13. And as I prepared for the message, I remembered I had a little flashback to how my own sweet mother had taken this passage and had it uh, hanging on a wall near our front door and the home I grew up in a farming community north of here in Northern Indiana many decades ago. And so I realized, my gosh, this is probably one of the first passages um, that really was committed to my heart years before I ever had a personal relationship with Jesus. So I'm excited to look at it together today. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through eight. You'll see it up on the screen and we can read through it together. Love is patient. Love is kind. And my favorite of all of these verses, verse 8, love never fails. Would you pray with me, please? God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the beautiful weather. I thank you, Lord, that you love us so much, that Jesus came and just embodied all that we read about in these last four or five verses. God, I pray that you would... Help us set aside anything on our minds. For those who came today excited about Mother's Day, I pray that they would leave here challenged and encouraged to live out their calling. And Lord, for those of us who came today who are not so excited about Mother's Day, I pray, Lord, that they would also be encouraged and challenged for the areas that they're loving in and having influence. Lord, we want to be known for living boldly and loving deeply. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. So we just read in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. And you notice there, we're not just talking about a mother's love. We're talking about all kinds of love. In a church this size, I know many of you are influencing people in a variety of ways, whether or not you're a mother. You might be a coach or a teacher. You might be the world's greatest aunt, like my sister is. You might be um, a dad. You might be leading in the workplace and pouring your heart and your life into people around you just because God's brought them across your path in life. So I want you to keep that in mind today because we're going to be talking about three roadblocks to living out this 1 Corinthians chapter 13 type of love in our lives with the people that we're influencing and the people that we live most closely with. So in order to do that, I want to redefine mothering a little bit. Everyone has walked in the room or if you're watching online you came in with a preconceived notion. When I say the word mothering, you might have a positive connotation. You might have a negative connotation. I want to ask you to just set that aside for a little bit and recognize that mothering requires love, not DNA. Mothering requires love, not DNA. I was even thinking about this week in my daily reading. If any of you are doing the 90-day Bible plan, I happen to be in a different part of Scripture and read in 2 Corinthians where Paul's saying, Hey guys, I'm speaking to you basically as I would to as if you were my own children. See, we all have people in our lives that we're investing in. And sometimes we have to speak to them in a difficult way or in an emotional way to connect with them because God is speaking through us to help them grow up and mature and experience God in new and healthy ways. And that's why I say motherhood requires love, not DNA. If you would, go ahead and look up on the screen. You're going to see an image from one of the favorite books I used to read my kids when they were little. Many of you ever heard of this book, A Mother for Chaco? It's one of my favorite books because the premise is there's this mother bear, and she's walking through the woods, and she comes across Chaco, which is this little adorable yellow bird with really, really round cheeks, And Chaco needs a mom. He needs someone to mother him. And he's afraid that the bear can't be his mom because she doesn't have a beak like his, she doesn't have yellow feathers, and her legs and feet are quite different than his. And the mother just kind of brushes that off and says, no, I want you to come home with me. I can love you, I will care for you. And when he gets there, this is my favorite page in the book, he discovers she's already mothering Allie the alligator Hippie the hippo and Piggy the pig, none of whom look like her, none of whom share her DNA, but all of whom are falling under her leadership, all of whom are blessed by the love and care and influence that she's putting in their lives. And together, they are better for that. So let's just recognize we're not here just because of our moms, are we? I'm so thankful for my mom. There have been about a thousand other men and women who've come along as well to help grow me up, and I still need it. I still have people mothering, mentoring me, loving me, parenting me, and I'm so grateful for it. So when we're talking about mothering today, we're thinking about this childhood book example that's one of my favorites. But there are three roadblocks, as I said, to expressing this first Corinthians love. Three roadblocks. And the first one we're going to take a look at today is the roadblock of fear. If you've ever cared about something deeply, you've likely experienced anxiety or fear about loving that person or leading through that situation. You're going to see on the screen a picture of Mother's Day 2006, And this was the day that Chris and I dedicated our babies, Blake and Mackenzie, just like you see up here on the screen today. And if you ever want to feel vulnerable, show a picture of yourself 11 years ago on a screen. That's what's happening right now. So look at my babies because they're the cutest things ever. I also think my husband's really cute. That's Blake and Mackenzie. And if you look at my face, you probably know I was so proud that day. And I'm still crazy proud of my kids. But you know what? I was also really afraid. I was a mom who was making decisions out of fear. You see, when my son Blake was born, I was very young, and I was working part-time, and the responsibility of raising him was something that overwhelmed me, and I really thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to mess this kid up. (laughs) I need a lot of help. And I sort of, well, not sort of, I really made the decision out of fear, I'm going to go to work full-time. I need someone else caring for him because I don't have what it takes. Now, this isn't a. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with working full time as a mom. I'm obviously doing that again right now. But for myself, at that time, I made a decision when I didn't have to to run in fear because I was afraid of the responsibility, even though I love my son more deeply than I can communicate to you. And Mackenzie, my daughter, she's about 18 months old in that picture. We adopted her just a few months before this picture was taken. She didn't even speak English yet. And she had a very difficult transition, which was no fault of hers, just difficult when you're really bright and you're really strong willed and you're suddenly thrown into this home of a new family who smells different, speaks a different language, lives in another country, and it's not what you had in mind. <laughs> it was hard for her. And I was afraid. And the way that fear manifested in my life was to be controlling. I read every book you can imagine on how to be the world's best adoptive mom, how you get your kid to attach to you, did all the counseling did all the things I could think of. And I was certainly praying for her and for myself and inviting other people into the situation, but I was afraid. I was afraid that Mackenzie would never understand how much I loved her. I was afraid that she wouldn't start receiving my love, let alone even like me (laughs) for a while. And I realized that fear was because I had an outcome in mind that I really wanted to happen. Have you ever cared about something that you had the end result in mind all the time? All the time? Sometimes I was looking at my babies and I was thinking, oh, I see this in you. I want you to grow up and do this, or you're going to grow up and do that or be that. And God just showed me, Dana, you are mothering in fear. My responsibility is with the input. It's with the daily things. It's with the loving on them, the discipline, the teaching them, the playing on the floor, and all of those things. That's my responsibility. God's responsibility is the outcome. Their story's not done yet. I think if my mom were on stage 30 years ago giving a similar message, she would have expected a very different outcome than what's happening in this moment. And I think, I don't want to keep my kids from experiencing God's best. And that's something that we struggle with as aunts, uncles, mentors, coaches, teachers, we have the outcome in mind, but our responsibility is the input. Our responsibility is what we're doing day in and day out. So as you think about this first roadblock to that First Corinthians 13 love, I wanna ask you a question. Are you afraid to speak with love and authority into someone's life just because they don't carry your DNA? Are you mothering or mentoring a person whose life you want to control the outcome of? Are you mothering or mentoring a person whose life you want to control the outcome of? And finally, I want to ask you a really interesting question. And that is just to challenge you. Is there a chance that you might be running from the opportunity to disciple someone or to mentor someone that God's put in your life? Just to be real candid, a few years ago, I was on a ministry team, amazing team. We hired this super talented young guy, came onto the team, and it became evident early on that he didn't have a very strong parental influence growing up. So he had lots of talent, but little input, and he started seeing me as a mother figure. And I got afraid again. This was a pattern in my life, clearly. I got afraid. I started thinking, I'm trying to raise two kids at home and I'm not sure if I'm doing well enough at that. How am I going to have the energy, the wisdom, the time, all the things I need to pour into this young guy? And I was really limited in my perspective. I'm thankful that God convicted me of that because over time we developed such a great friendship and he got to know my family and I watched him flourish. I watched him get married. He's now a father uh, himself, an amazing father. And still quite talented. So when I came on staff at Mercy Road a few months ago, we needed some help with something. And I reached out to him and asked him for help. And his response to me was, anything for you, Mom? And my heart just melted. Because he's really too old to physically be my child. But I loved the opportunity I had to do life with him. You know, it's a, it's a marathon when you're raising kids. You're with them your whole life. And some people come into your life for a short time and you get to invest in them and learn from them. So that's why I'm challenging you. Is there someone in your life right now you're hesitant to disciple or to pour into because you're not sure you have the energy or the time that it takes? Well, let's take a look at another roadblock to this 1 Corinthians chapter 13 love that we so desperately want to give. And that roadblock is misunderstanding misunderstanding is a nice way to say this. <laughs> the honest, probably best way to say it is sometimes we refuse to see people for who they've really become, for who they are. Um, there's a book called Leadership and Self-Deception. You'll see a picture of it up here on the screen. It's not a Christian book. It's a leadership book. I love leadership books, but it's a book that God used to speak directly to my heart into my life, especially as a parent. And I realized uh, when I was reading this book, which is a story about a man who's a successful businessman and he has a son who's struggling with an addiction. And I'm sure you've seen this play out many times in marriages or family relationships where one person is doing great in all areas of life except in one relationship. And the other one seems to be struggling with one big issue and they can't meet eye to eye on it because they refuse to see each other for who they are. So the son, even though he's trying to live out uh, to, to fight the addiction and to live a brand new life, his dad refuses to accept that. And the dad, even though he's trying to see his son in a new light, he's struggling with it because he feels like his son's always gonna fail. And I have, I think, a, a better, light, more lighthearted, funnier example of that, of how we do this in our lives. It's called putting someone in a box. That's what the book explains it as, the self-deception of putting someone in the box. So I'm the youngest of just two, I have an older sister, she's four and a half years older than me. She's very successful. She has no kids, she's the world's best aunt to my kids. And so when I had Blake at a young age and my sister was making a road trip through the US, she stopped in my house in Oklahoma and came to visit and she walks in and she says, oh my gosh, it smells so good in here. And I had made dinner. She was very surprised by this apparently. (laughs) And then she's playing with my son, Blake, little baby Blake. Oh, he's so cute, he's so healthy, and wow, he's clean, and he's clothed, and your house is clean, and just all these things. She's verbally saying, I can't believe you can do all these things. (laughs) And it occurred to us as we were talking, she had moved out of the house to go to college when I was like 14, a decade had passed and here she was coming back and seeing me in a totally different light as a quasi-responsible grown-up person who can pay her bills and keep her baby clean, right? And she, so she stayed at our house that night. She woke up the next morning after staying in the guest room and she was like, gosh, the sheets were clean and they smell good. This is amazing, like I was finally gonna make it in life. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, these are all things that I know how to do. Why are you so impressed? Well, rightly so, she still had me in that box from a decade ago. But time passed and she went, Oh, wow, Dana, you've totally grown up. You've got this life thing together. You're going to be fine. (laughs) And I'm proud of you. That meant so much to me. And it's something I still laugh about with my husband because I didn't see the change happening, but she recognized it in me and she treats me so differently now because I'm not little Dana who's the annoying sister from home so much anymore. So we do this in our lives, don't we? I did this with my own daughter. When Mackenzie struggled with the transition coming home, I immediately put her in this box of, wow, this is a child I'm crazy about. I love her. I will always care for her and be committed to her, but she's never going to love me. I don't even know if she's going to like me. Then I put God in a box because God called us to this adoption and I was so excited and passionate about it. And then it started not working out the way I thought it would. And I went, God, I love you. I know you saved me. I rest in that but I don't know if you're really here for me. I feel like you abandoned me, so I can only trust you so far. And the most difficult thing to realize was that I had put myself in a box. Through all this transition a decade ago when we brought Mackenzie home, I started labeling myself as a failure. Wow, I'm a horrible mom. Why do I get to do this, God? She deserves someone better. My kids deserve someone better or different. And when I read this book... And realized that even though God was renewing me and changing me, that wasn't going to take full effect in my life until I agreed with him and the way he saw me. And so it started first with seeing God differently. And taking him out of that box and recognizing he hadn't abandoned me at all. I had just misunderstood the calling. And with Mackenzie, the more I just watched her unfold, saw her laugh for the first time, realized she's an amazing athlete, and all these things that she does, I realized she was totally responding to me in a significantly loving way, but I was failing to see it, and I failed to see it because I still had myself in that box, and that was the hardest thing to get rid of. I thought I was an angry mom. I wasn't enjoying things as much as I wanted to, so I went back to that fear we talked about a little bit ago. tried to control it, read all the books, do all the counseling, talk to all my friends, be held accountable, and it wasn't changing. And I just thought, wow, I'm angry. But I wasn't angry like throwing things and shouting so much. And I just couldn't figure out why, God, am I not angry? And God said, You're not angry, you're hurt. <laughs> you're protecting yourself. Those are two very different things. And that's what helped me see myself differently and take myself out of that box. God, this was a hurtful experience, but it's not going to be. I surrendered it to you moving forward. I believe in faith that I'll have an amazing relationship with my daughter, and by God's grace, I do today. The thing is, though, it took me getting to that point, something that we read about in Proverbs thirteen twelve, where it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. My heart was sick. Do you know what it means to defer something? If you have a student loan, you know what it means to defer something, right? You're putting off payment. If you put off hope, you literally become ill In your body. I felt ill in my mind and my heart, and I wasn't willing to have hope for a different future. And God just radically changed that in me, and I'm so thankful for that. So if you're here today and your hope is on life support, maybe you have a difficult relationship with someone in your family, or you're struggling at work, give God the opportunity to multiply your hope. Let Him show you that person in yourself and God in a totally different light. Because the fact is, the circumstances might not change right away. But if your perspective of them change, that is more than enough. Well, let's take a look at one more way that we have a roadblock to this uh, 1 Corinthians 13 type of love. And that is poor self-care. And ladies, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. I'm a woman. I love all my girlfriends. I love raising a, a young girl. But sometimes, ladies, we are horrible at this self-care thing. Am I right? And I know it's way overused. But you've heard this analogy on an airplane a thousand times. And we roll our eyes at it. But it's highly accurate. And what is that? It's that you need to take the oxygen mask and put it on yourself before you help the person next to you. Or else you're no good to anyone. And I want to talk about that from a spiritual perspective. There are ways that we need to take care of ourselves, that sometimes we're hesitant to do. Because we're afraid if we slow down or we stop what we're doing, it's going to all fall apart, right? Or we might think we appear selfish or like we're not a good mom or we're not a good leader or we're not a good uncle or aunt or coach or teacher if we take time for ourselves to reconnect with God. But the fact is, I want you to think about this from the inverse as I debate a little bit with you. If you're sitting here saying, I don't need to take better care of myself, I want you to think about the inverse. What's it like to be led by a person who doesn't take care of themselves? Many of you had that experience? I've had that experience. To be led by a person that you know was burning the candle at both ends, might not be connecting with God, might not even be able to tell you what their hobby is if you ask them, yeah? What's that like? That's a horrible feeling because if we want to be cared well for, we want the people caring for, them, for us to take good care of themselves, don't we? So I want to ask you a question. What would the person closest to you say you need to start doing? What would the person who knows you best say you need to start doing for yourself? And if you have kids, if you're in a role where you're mentoring a bunch of kids or leading at work, coaching a team, do they see you making time to rest to fill up your tank? Because I think we forget so easily that we want to give, we want to pour into people, we want to live boldly and love deeply and invest time and energy and money in those we love. But if we're doing that out of an empty tank that we aren't refilling, we're significantly losing our effectiveness and our ability to bring God glory. And I add that part about bringing God glory, because I love efficiency, but really the purpose is to bring God glory and the relationships to the people that we are mentoring. So I sort of experienced a little bit of burnout a little bit. I experienced burnout as a mom in those early years um, when my kids were young, not long after this picture was taken. And I discovered I really needed to start inviting more and more people to invest in my life. I needed to discover a hobby. I needed to never apologize for taking time to pray and read God's word. And I needed to get up earlier to do that, frankly, or find a way to do that at night. I'm a morning person, so it pretty much had to happen in the morning. (laughs) But whatever it is for you, you have to find a way to do. And I think it was surprising to me to realize that I wasn't going to make it in the marathon, If I couldn't take care of myself with each passing mile and the last thing I wanted was for the people I was leading at work and ministry and at home to think I didn't care enough to take good care of myself. So if you're hearing any of this this morning and you're feeling guilt, please don't feel that. This is not a message to shame or guilt. It's meant to encourage you. This is your out You've got someone next to you who's also heard me say, hey, you need to take care of yourself, love yourself well. If you can't give yourself permission, they can help you do that. And I think also one more thing I want to say about this poor self-care is I asked you to think about what the person closest to you would say you need to start doing. But sometimes, in my experience, it might be the person closest to us or certainly the Holy Spirit telling us what we need to stop doing in our lives to create more margin, to allow God to speak to us more, to allow him to work through us more and see what that looks like. Because see, the fact is, if you're like me, you've heard this message from society that says, you are enough. You can buy a mug that says it, you can buy a t-shirt that says it, I'm sure there's a billboard out there somewhere that says it, and you know what? I don't think that's biblical. I've read in John 15, where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You guys, I know you're just like me. You want to know God better and bring him glory. We can only do nothing, though, if we don't have Jesus. So if we think we're enough on our own, we're already a little bit off course. See, society wants us to think that we can be independent, that we don't need to stop and take care of ourselves. And the fact is we do, and our rest and our restoration comes through Christ alone. So when I was experiencing this burnout as a parent, I kept coming across the word enough. Have you ever had that happen where you feel like at every turn someone saying it to you, maybe when you have coffee or you hear it in lyrics of a favorite song? Well, for me, the word that kept coming up was enough. And I explained to you that a few years ago I had God in this box where I was thinking he was unhappy with me because uh, the outcome of my kid's lives wasn't looking exactly like I thought it should. So when I would hear the word enough for a season, I was thinking it was God saying, that's enough, Dana, or I've had enough. I received it like as a punitive word. And then one day I was reading the New Testament in Spanish, which is a language I love that I'm not great at, happens to be my daughter's native language and I was reading the New Testament in Spanish, and I saw the word enough in a brand new way. You'll see it up here on the screen, bastante. Bastante means a lot. It means also enough, sufficient, quite. It could mean abundance, more than enough. And when I read it, that God's grace is enough for me, that there's a lot of it for me, I saw that word so differently, and in a moment, was able to really take God out of that box and realize he wasn't punishing me, he wasn't unhappy with me, he was there waiting to help me if I would let go of that fear, if I would let go of that misunderstanding that I was holding on to and refusing to let go of to see things differently, and that he was more than enough, that he would help me get beyond this sense that I shouldn't take care of myself because I had to be a martyr for my kids or I had to be a martyr for ministry or the people that I care about pouring into. So if you'll take a look at the screen, you'll see a different way we can look at the equation of God in our lives. I've already explained to you that on our own, we're not enough. It says in scripture, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But God plus us is more than enough. He has bestante. He has quite a lot available to us to live out this marathon of mentoring and mothering and loving the people that he's put in our lives So as we finish today, I want to revisit that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 passage, and I'm just going to read it to you, but I'm going to read it a little bit differently. You know, we read in scripture, it says, God is love. So we're going to replace, every time it says love, we're going to replace it with his name. And I want to speak that over you if I could, just the way I would my own kids, my own friends, my husband, the people I get to work with, because I want to encourage you today. If you have God in a box, if you have this mindset, refusing to believe that he's anything other than what you've experienced, i want to challenge you with this definition of who he truly is according to God's word. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. God does not dishonor others, and he is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered, and he keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. God never fails.